church, God is so good. I am so thankful that that God, the God of glory, sent his son, Jesus Christ. We should never get over that fact. The fact that he was given for us and before eternity he had planned it and in a good time, in the right time, he sent him for us and for our salvation. Church, we are always given a reason for joy, hope, for gladness in our hearts. I don't know what your day looks like or what your week looked like, but that is true and our hearts need to be reminded. My heart needed to be reminded of that this morning. So let's thank the Lord and bow our hearts in prayer to Him as we get started today. Will you join me? Father, you are truly the Lord Almighty. You are the God of glory. There is none like you. Lord, we need no one else. You have given us everything we need in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you even as we sung that he is the one that makes the darkness tremble. Lord, perhaps in our life there's darkness that we've been living in. Lord, I pray by your Spirit you would search our hearts this morning. Show us where we are living for ourselves and not for you. Lord, there is a fear that should be there. But when we come to Christ, he silences that fear by showing us the mercy, grace, love, and kindness that are ours because of him. Lord, for those of us who know you, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged to approach you with confidence, knowing that we are your children. We are yours, never to be removed. Father, encourage our hearts today as we look at your word. We want to see your goodness. We want to see your control in our lives. We pray this to your glory. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Kids, I got a question for you. Do you remember what book of the Bible we are in? Does anybody know? If you know it, just say it. Lucy, I said kids. I know you're a child at heart. It's okay. It's okay. It's, her hearing aid was out. So kids, what book are we in? What chapter are we in? What, one? Right at the beginning. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to Genesis, first book of the Bible, first chapter. Last week we looked at one verse, Genesis 1.1. And we saw some things about God that were very important. So let me just remind you. We learned that God is eternal. He's the one who made it from the beginning. In the beginning, God. And God created. God is the creator. God created the heavens and the earth. And so God is eternal. He is the creator and he is the king. And we saw all of that last week. Now, it's pretty Amazing that after all of that uplifting stuff, the Bible kind of has a strange little turn here in verse 2. Today we're going to look at verse 2. So if you think we're going slow, I apologize. After this week, we'll move a little fast. But we have to deal with verse 2 today. And when you read it, it's kind of like, what, what just happened? This doesn't seem so nice. This kind of seems a little crazy. It doesn't seem to fit into the story of what we think of creation. 
But remember, the main character is God. And we're going to see who God is and what he does. And this verse is going to tell us that God is good. God is good. And he brings order from chaos. And this is a foreshadowing. This is pointing forward to what will come in the future. And God uses chaos. And he transforms this chaos into an ordered creation that is very good because God wants to dwell with his people. But right now, no one can be there. No one. But at the end of the story, we'll see that God rests and dwells with his people. And so let's read verse 2. It says this, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It's kind of an ominous picture. It's not really inviting. I don't think that you would, if you're looking for like a plot of land to build your house, you would not choose this right here. But this is what God chooses to work with. This is how God initially created the universe. And it's interesting, this is the vantage point of earth. Notice, the earth is formless and void. So we had the heavens and the earth. Now we're looking at just the material world that you and I see. And this is how he describes it. So look at the first phrase. It says, the earth was without form and void. So the first point is, it is an empty wasteland. Really fun. Empty wasteland. The words here for formless and void are tohu vavohu. Formless and void. They rhyme. These words, tohu, formless, it's a word that is used consistently as that which is desolated, a desert, a ruin. You can't live there. There's no substance and no form. Kids, you know how you go to the beach and maybe you try to grab sand and hold it? Just dry sand. Anyone, take sand and try to form it into something. It's just without form. You can't make a form out of that. Or water. You try to grab water and make it into a unicorn or a squirrel. It's just gone. There's no form. There's no substance really. Nothing to make it. Now the second word, void, Every single time it's used in the Bible, it's only used three times, but every time it's used, it's used with this word formless. Formless and void. And it means empty or chaos. So tohu and vohu is an empty wasteland. There's nowhere to live, so nothing lives there. Nowhere to live, so nothing lives there. Now parents, some of you might be thinking, this is my teenager's room. That's exactly what that is. Or this is my house. Kids, I know that every single time you have a clean room, somehow it becomes formless and void. It just becomes an empty wasteland. There's nowhere to live now, and no one can live in your room. This was my roommate in college. It was amazing. It was like, here's darkness, empty wasteland, and here's my side of the room. It was a miracle. My mom raised me right. Thank you, mom. Thank you. The next thing we see about this earth, it's not just an empty wasteland. Notice how it's described now. It is deep darkness. It says, and darkness was over the face of the deep. 
Again, not an inviting picture. Darkness throughout the rest of the Bible represents death and evil, but not here. This is probably the only place that it doesn't necessarily in Genesis 1. This is all good that he made this. But darkness is used to represent death and evil. You can't have life in darkness. The deep, darkness over the face of the deep. The deep is the ocean. But it also refers to the place that is known in the Bible as the abyss. It is an endless pit. It is the place of the dead. That's what it becomes in the Bible. You can't live there. I think of it being like a deep, watery grave. You just keep going, you fall in, and you go down, 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 down. Terrifying. I'm already getting chills. I don't mind shallow water, okay? I don't mind shallow water. 15, 20 feet, that's great. I like putting goggles on and a snorkel, and in Lake Michigan, there's just sand. But I like swimming in that deep of water. If you get any deeper than that, it starts getting a little scary. Imagine you're looking down and there's nothing, just black. That's the picture. It's deep. You realize immediately, I do not belong in this place. I cannot live in this place. This was not made for me. So looking at the earth currently, it is not inviting. Something needs to change. God, what, what are you doing? Why are you making the world this way? Now, I love this next part of the verse, but before we get there, imagine you are about to go to a surprise party. Now, remember, you don't know it's a surprise party, but you ever have someone throw you a surprise party and you're kind of with a person who's leading you to the surprise party and the person acts really weird the entire time? It's like, what is, what is going on? There's just a lot of things that just aren't clicking right now that you don't get, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's why. It's a, it's a surprise party. It's kind of like the next part of this verse. God's like, hey, look at all this weird stuff that's there, all this darkness, all this empty wasteland. Just wait. Just wait. And the next part is, get ready. Get ready, because this is what it says. The Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. What a strange picture. As you think of all of the chaos that is happening in this verse, all of a sudden it just stops and says, the Spirit is over all of this, just hovering. Now the word spirit there is the Hebrew word ruach, which could mean wind or breath. Wind or breath which is another thing that you see throughout the Bible being used, God's word, the speaking of words. So it's this anticipation of something happening. The word hovering is like an eagle. The only other time this word is used is an eagle guarding its nest, hovering over it with its wings, protecting it, but also potentially stirring up the little ones inside of it to get them active. That's the picture. Something is about to happen. There's creative potential. Something is stirring. You and I look at this and go, boy, this is just worthless waste. And God goes, no, 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 just wait. Just wait. Just watch what I'm about to do. And that's it. That's the end of the verse. So sorry, guys. It's a cliffhanger. Come back next week and we'll deal with what we actually see. But seriously, we stop there. 
That's where we're stopping. And you could look at me and go, Charles, why in the world are you spending an entire Sunday talking about something that doesn't even happen? Really? That was kind of a pointless Sunday. But that's it. Why would I spend an entire Sunday on that? That's it. We're done. We're not. Because think of this. How does this apply to us? Last week, we noticed that as we talk about creation, we are on this side of Jesus. So how does this verse get from Jesus to us? And that's what we're going to see. We're going to see how God takes chaos and transforms it into good. But he has to start or chooses to start with chaos. And this is, again, a pattern of how God uses judgment and salvation. His judgment is seen by chaos throughout the Bible. His judgment is seen by chaos. But his salvation is seen by order, by bringing people into relationship with him. And so chaos can be described as this. It is disorder and confusion. It is not having proper relationships or not doing what should be done by those things that are created. That's what chaos is. You don't have proper relationships and you're not doing what you should be doing. And order, so chaos is God's judgment. Salvation is seen by order. Order is the arrangement of people or things in proper relationships and doing things properly. And that's what we'll see at the end of the creation. It was chaotic. It was not doing what it should be doing. And then God ordered it and made it what it should be doing, exactly what it was. Now, if God made everything and it's good, why is it so chaotic, even now and disordered? Well, kids, I'm sorry if you don't know. Spoiler alert. I hate spoilers, but I'm going to tell you. Man falls into sin. Man falls into sin introduces the curse. So all of creation and all of the people in it is cursed. Cursed. And God's judgment upon the earth is that chaos is always encroaching. It's always getting nearer to you. No matter what you try to do, think of it. Just your normal everyday things. There's always this encroaching disorder that comes into your life. I mentioned your house. How often do you clean your house? Why do you have to do this all the time? Is it just the laws of thermodynamics or is it just the reality of it being cursed? Do you think in heaven you're going to have to clean your house every single day? Lord willing, no. Miriam's saying no. She's saying, please, dear Lord, no. But I just think of that reality. Anything that you get, any relationship that you're in, it's on the verge constantly of going into chaos, whether because of your sin or just because of living in this cursed world. Every single day we're facing potential and real chaos. Romans 8 reminds us that the whole creation was subjected to futility because of the sin of Adam and Eve. It does not achieve its desired end. God made it for a purpose and on its own it can't reach that purpose anymore. That's what futility means. You try. The Bible says that man sins and falls short. You can't reach what God has made you to do. You can't. On your own. Impossible separated from God, relationship with God, which we were made for, separated from him. And as man sins, God reminds us that his judgment is necessary because God is holy and good. He can't just sit idly by sin. His holiness and his goodness 
mandate judgment. And judgment brings chaos. But in the midst of that chaos, we'll see, God chooses to show salvation and use it for good. Look at this passage, or, sorry, about the flood. Before this happens in Genesis 7, God sees how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. It says in Genesis 6. Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And it says the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. But Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. And kids, what does God do to the land during the days of Noah? Does anybody know? Yes, Nora. He floods it. He turns it back into water. Look at what it says in Genesis 7, verse 11. It says, all the fountains of the great deep, that's the same word, the face of the deep, burst forth. The windows of the heaven were open, and the waters, the very thing that the Spirit was hovering over, is now prevailing so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. But notice Verse 18, the ark floated on the face of the waters, just like the Spirit was hovering on the face of the waters. Now this ark is saved on the face of the waters. Everything else is gone. The deep is used as judgment. The very thing that God had taken away, the waters covering the earth, he then covers it back over. He brings chaos. He reverses creation. And how does the water go down? Interesting, the wind blows on it. The wind blows on the earth and the dry land appears and Noah and the animals come out of the ark. It's like it's a new creation again. What does Noah do? He plants a vineyard, just like a garden was planted. And what does he do? He goes back into sin. So is the problem solved? No. We still have the problem. Even though God made a new creation, it's not solved. But God promises that he'll never do this, even though man is evil from childhood. And he makes a covenant, and that's why we have the rainbow. Back into chaos we go. Babel, chaotic tragedy, confusion of languages, greater giving into chaos. The patriarchs, a good mix of chaos and order in their lives. And think of the story at the end of Genesis, the story of Joseph. What happens to Joseph is evil. It's chaotic. His brother's selling him. He ends up in Egypt. He's doing well. Then he ends up in prison. And then he's exalted at the end. What does Joseph reflect on? He says, listen, this is the truth. God made a good creation out of chaos. I'm looking at my life now. Everything that you meant was evil. And God meant all of that evil for good. For the saving of people. Even in the midst of God judging the world with a famine, he says it also meant for deliverance because he raised me up to bring salvation to people. It's a picture of Christ. We move on. Exodus. God promises he will save his people and judge the Egyptians. You have ten plagues that happen, which are pictures of God reversing creation. And then they come to the Red Sea. Look what it says in Exodus 15. This is Moses singing a song about what happened. He says, the deep waters, same word, have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone by the blast of your nostrils. Sounds like a sneeze. It's the wind, spirit. 
By the spirit is another way that you could pronounce it, but it's the idea of the wind, the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up. God sent wind to pile up the water so that the people could cross. And then it says the surging water stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. You made it so that we could walk through. And then verse 10, by the same breath, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Why do they keep quoting Genesis 1-2? Because that's the chaos. When God judges, he keeps bringing it back into chaos every single time. And then God shows salvation in the midst. He shows good through the midst of the chaos, which is exactly what he did in the creation. You have the deep being separated so that God's people can walk through. And then that same deep piles over, kills all the Egyptians and Pharaoh. Salvation and judgment are shown in the midst of these things. And now you and I can ask, is the problem solved? No, it's not. Three days later, they go into the wilderness and they are complaining against God. And we know that 40 years they spent there, they died in unbelief. Eventually, God brings them into the land. The people keep rebelling, though, as they move into the land. Even though God gave them a temple, kings, all the things that they were asking for, sent them prophets to speak the word of God, continually rebelling. And God said, I'm going to judge you. Again, I'm going to bring chaos. Notice Jeremiah 4. Look at what it says. It says, my people are foolish. They do not know me. They're stupid children. They have no understanding. They're wise only in doing evil. How to do good they do not know. And then he says this. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void. And to the heavens, and they had no light. It's Genesis 1-2 again. It's formless and void. No light. The only thing that's missing is the sea. But the people are described as the sea. And God gives them over to the sea, which is the nations. One to Assyria, another one to Babylon. Interesting. Constantly, you see this idea of God bringing chaos in the midst of this. But verse 27, I don't have it on the screen. But God promises, he says, the whole land shall become a desolation. But then he promises this, yet I will not make a full end. And Lamentations picks up that truth, that God doesn't make it a full end by saying, listen, God's faithfulness is shown in the fact that we're still alive. Why would God spare us? He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to spare them. But he chooses to, in his grace, bring salvation in the midst of chaotic judgment. And I find it interesting that even in the midst of judgment, them going into exile, he still hints he's going to do something. The idea is get ready. God is good. He's going to bring order from chaos. And so Jeremiah reminds us, and so do other passages in the prophet, that God's going to bring a new covenant. He's going to finally deal with chaos where it is. Because the chaos is not necessarily in the circumstances outside of us, although it's true. The chaos is in each one of us. And that's the chaos that needs to be settled. That's the chaos that needs to be ordered. That's the chaos that God is going to deal with. And so everything that you read is God foreshadowing what he's going to do in redemption. He's moving particular areas and then it says it's you. I'm going to order you. And all of this, can we admit, all of this is pointing to the Lord Jesus and what he's going to do. 
Think of Jesus coming to do some work. Because when Jesus comes into the world, it's a lot like Genesis 1-2. It's chaotic. And if you think of this, when Jesus started creating the world, because we know that he created all things, he made Genesis 1-2 the way that it was. He made it chaotic first. And that's the world that Jesus comes into when he comes on the scene. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's with God in the beginning. Through him, everything was made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then he says, in him was life. He gave life to everyone, and that life was the light of all mankind. And then it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. That deep darkness that was there from the chaos at the beginning, Jesus comes and shines, just like in the next verse in Genesis 1-3, there's light that shines in the darkness. Matthew 4 says that the people are living in darkness, and these people have seen a great light. And then he says, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, in the deep darkness of the abyss, light has dawned. And Jesus' message, the next verse says, and Jesus began speaking and saying to people, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here, the order of God is come, and I am the one who's going to bring it. That's his message. Think of the disciples when they're out on the waves, and they're there, and they're waking him up, and they say, Master, we're going to drown. He gets up. He rebukes the wind and the raging waters, same words. And the storm subsides and all was calm and they look at him and eventually Peter says, this one is the Christ. This is the one who's going to be chaos. He's going to bring order to the people here. This is going to be awesome. And then Jesus says something crazy. He says, listen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day I'm going to be raised. And Peter's response, the guy who just said, You are the Christ. He says, no, no, you're not. That's not the way that you beat chaos. You beat chaos the way that I want you to beat chaos. And Jesus says, listen, you are not thinking of the things of God. You're thinking of the things of man. You're fighting a war against chaos that is not going to win against chaos. You don't fight chaos with chaos. You fight chaos in the way that I'm telling you to. And Jesus is the conquering king. But on the path to conquering, he first gives himself to be conquered. That's the way that he conquers chaos, is giving himself to chaos. He faces chaos and tragedy, darkness and death, and he is crucified. We just sang about it. He's crucified. Think of him crying out like David, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you giving me over to chaos and not giving me order anymore in my life? You've forsaken me. Your hand of blessing and salvation is removed from me. Now the only thing I have is chaos. And throughout the Psalms, you read of the Psalms crying out to God, why is my life like this? Why are you silent, God? Why is the chaos happening? Same cry of Jesus. Why have you forsaken me? 
And Jesus tells people, listen, like Jonah was in the depths of the sea in the belly of a fish, I am going to go into that same abyss, that same deepness, and I'm going to be there for three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He tells people this. And we see that when Jesus dies, it seems like chaos won the battle. Chaos won the battle against Jesus. And there's only chaos. Think of the darkness at his crucifixion. The earth is quaking. Everything is gone. Chaos wins? What is going on? But remember, when it looks like only chaos, get ready. Because something's about to happen. And Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, is raised from the dead. And he defeats chaos for all time in that moment. Chaos is done. Shown. Shown that it will not ultimately win. That there is one who came, who has defeated it, and his work is finished. His work is finished and he rested now at the right hand of the Father. And he desires, just like at the end of the first creation, to dwell with his people. And how does he do that? He sent us the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that was hovering over the waters is not just hovering over the earth now as he's convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but he is in every single one whom God called to himself. And you now are ordered in you. Your chaos, the things that you rebelled against God, all of the things that were against God, God transformed you out of chaos and made you an ordered person by his grace. That's why the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, that old chaotic person that lived in rebellion to God, didn't care about God, did everything against God, didn't even care about it. You now have been stirred in your hearts, to given a heart that now is sensitive to God, cares about God, can sing songs about Jesus and be moved in your heart because that is the grace of God and that is what Paul says. We are a new creation. And notice what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us something. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is the message that you and I carry to the world now. That all of the people around you, if they do not know Christ, they're living in chaos. They're living in chaos. Guess what? You and I also live in chaos. The difference is that you and I are ordered from the inside. They are not. They're not reconciled to God. They do not have the power to look at it as the fact that God is going to use everything in your life. As Paul says in Romans 8, everything will work together for good. Just like Joseph said, everything that is evil, that people are doing against you, God will use it for good. That's a promise that he makes. You and I need to be focused on something, though. Do you see this? 2 Corinthians 5, he says, listen, you and I are to preach Christ. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for the sake of Christ with a message, be reconciled to God. Church, let me ask you this. In the midst of everything that's been happening in our nation, in our state, in our area, 
Has the ministry of reconciliation been a focus of your heart? Has the message of the gospel been the first priority of your heart? Is that the focus? Because I'm pretty sure that a lot of other things have become the focus of our hearts during this time. If our message is masks are bad, that's not the first primary mission. The first primary message of our hearts is the message of the gospel. So prioritizing of time should be our hearts spent on the ministry of reconciliation. We are saved by the grace of God to give the message that God in his grace is able to save other people. That is our first primary importance. That's what Paul says. If you're a new creation, the old has passed away. So if you're looking a lot like the world and involving yourself in a lot of the things of the world, the chaos of the world, guess what? It's going to go into chaos. That's exactly what God promises. It's not going to change. What is going to change is the salvation of the person who's in that chaos. That's the focus. Are you ministering the gospel to people, to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your coworkers? Is there any difference in you? Is there an orderedness to your life and to your heart? Or are we as frantic as the world in some of this time? That's what God warns us. He wants people to know this message. And God says that he's making his appeal through us. Through us. Do we look anything like a new creation to the world? Do we speak about the goodness and grace of God to the world? Second thing I want us to see is this idea of get ready. We are going to wait for Christ to come. That's one thing that we're also called to do. Look at 2 Peter verse 3. So not only are we a new creation, but we are to wait for Christ to come. We're given the message of the gospel, but now you and I are told to wait for Christ to come. Peter is writing to people his second letter, and he says to them in 2 Peter 3 that there's going to be scoffers who come in the end. And he says, and they're going to follow their own desires. They're going to say stuff like, where is the promise of God coming? Since the fathers, the patriarchs fell asleep, everything is exactly as they were from the beginning of creation. And this is what he says. He says, listen, they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water. And through water, by the word of God, that's Genesis 1-2. They deliberately overlooked this fact. That God brought chaos from the initial time. And that God brought the world out of this water. And then he says, and that by means of these, the word of God and the water, the world that then existed was totally deluged with water. It was covered in water. And it perished. They totally forget that fact. God made it out of water. And he brought it back into water. They totally forget the fact that God intervenes in judgment upon the world, that you cannot live however you want to live. And then he says, but by the same word, because God promised never to do that again with water, but by that same word, the word and the power of God, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the un." Godly, and he reminds them, listen, God is not slow in bringing this about. Some people think he's too slow in bringing judgment. The reason why he's slow is because he doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Again, going back to the ministry of reconciliation that we've been entrusted with, you and I are to wait for Christ to come, knowing 
Every single bit of this chaos is going to be wiped away. It is going to melt with a fervent heat. The elements themselves are going to melt away and God is going to usher in the fulfillment of his promises as he says, a new heavens and a new earth. That is what you and I are anticipating. So we look at the world right now and it looks pretty chaotic. And you know what you should say? Amen, come Lord Jesus. I'm going to keep preaching the message of the gospel until he comes back. Because that's the only thing that he's telling me that he's patient. The reason why he's not coming back now is because he wants people to be saved. If we're not caring about the salvation of people, we've missed the point of what he's telling us to do. The chaos is an indicator that God's judgment is here. It's at the door. You and I aren't facing that judgment. We should have confidence to speak and to say, listen, this is what's happening in the world, but look at how good God is in Jesus Christ. Look at how he's done this. And tell your own testimony of how God ordered you from chaos and brought you into a new creation. And say, this is all because of Christ. And he died on the cross for my sins and he was raised again. and He's transformed me. And I love that man. I love him so much. And I am confident that no matter what happens in our nation and in the world, I know that he's going to use it for good. But you know what I'm about? I want to see you come to Christ. Will you please come to Christ? Please. And if you do know Christ, that you would encourage one another as you see the day drawing near. It's not going to come like a thief to us. But he warns and he says, listen, all these things are going to be destroyed. What type of people should you be with lives of holiness and godliness? And he says, listen, since you're waiting, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, ordered, confident, waiting. Church, is that our focus during this time? I know that there's chaos around us. I know that every single day there are things that bring in reasons for our hearts to be unsettled, potential reasons for our hearts to be unsettled. God is the Lord over it all. He has reconciled us to himself. He has brought peace. He's given us his spirit. He has transformed us in the very essence of who we are, and we can know and love God. That is why Peter ends 2 Peter 3 with this verse. Verse 18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day that eternity begins, is what he says. Now and to the day of eternity, because there will be one day in eternity that we're waiting for. The final day will come. And he says, amen. Church, this is my challenge to us all. My challenge is the fact that you and I live all day, making choices on what we're going to focus our hearts on. We're going to focus our hearts on those things that are chaotic. We're going to focus our hearts on those things that are transforming us into the image of Christ, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, not in the chaos and knowledge of the things of the world. It's not foolish to know things, but those things do transform us. They make us something. And God has made us his own so that you and I would know him and love him, anticipate him coming, and be about sharing with other people who do not know him. 
That is our focus. And all of this is from Genesis 1 2. It's pretty awesome. Church, let us pray together. Lord, I pray right now that you would help remind us of your goodness. Lord, you are the one who can take the chaos of our life, whatever it is. And Lord, we could keep talking about the ways that we face chaos and the things that we see with chaos in our life and the things that are so out of order. And God, so many times you're slow in changing them and we don't like that, Lord. I don't like how long you take. But God, in the process, you are with us. You've given us your spirit and he is in us and he is going to work at the part of transforming us. I think of Paul when he says, outwardly, we're wasting away. Our bodies are breaking down, being given over to death. But inwardly, every day we're being renewed, we're being remade, we're being recreated as we wait for that which is to come. Or that which is to come is real. You are real. And you will come. God, we want to be found in you. Not having any righteousness of our own, but only that which comes by faith in Jesus Christ. In you, what you've done for us. Father, if there's someone here who does not know you, I pray, I pray, Lord, that they would come and know you. That they would understand that every way of man leads to chaos. Every way of man leads away from you. And you hand people over to that in judgment. But God, it is your mercy and your kindness that leads us to repentance. I pray that your patience would not be spurned, that we would not turn away from it knowing that your patience is given so that people would repent. Lord, call people to yourself. Lord, help us because we don't want to be people that are just worldly. We want to look like your son. And he gave himself and died, seemingly overcome by the chaos all around him. But that is the way he defeated chaos. So Lord, we know that you are in control, and we rest in that. Amen. As we reflect on that, let's stand together continuing to bring our cares, our chaos, our confusion. Asking the Lord to redeem it, to make it good. Calming the storms as we've prayed through this whole service. I hope you're encouraged. Let's sing with Allie this morning.
brothers and sisters in Christ, how about this? Sometimes chaos comes into our lives and it's uninvited. We didn't cause it. And then there are other times where we actually invite chaos into our lives. And then there are times when chaos comes into our lives and we latch onto it. We didn't invite it and we just stir it and churn it and make a mess of our own hearts. I wonder if you stood there today and you were singing those words and it was, they were just empty for you because it's not well with your soul. Charles delivered a spectacular message. But here's the truth of chaos. The Spirit of God is always, always involved. You are never alone. God didn't, God didn't get things churned up and, and start running and then step back and watch it all happen. He is running along with His creation, making sure everything goes in accordance with His good and perfect plan. It can be well with your soul, church. And if it's not, this is your call to come on down and speak with one of us. We stand ready to speak with you. Listen, if you don't know the person of Jesus Christ, I will promise you this, your heart will forever be chaotic. And this is your altar call. We want you to come down and give your life to Jesus Christ and let him settle the chaos in your life. I'm looking forward to next week. You should have a sermon to preach right now because we're about to see God speaks. Not only is he involved, but he speaks. And I can't wait to see what he has for us next week. Look forward to seeing you right down here. If you have something to pray about, know this church, you are loved, and we will see you next week.